Hello, I'm Terrence McNally. You're listening to Disruptive, the podcast from Harvard's Wyss Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering. One of today's guests, George Church, has made the point that as medicine moves from very blunt instruments, where you had to open up a chest all the way, for example, or you had to use molecules that would hit almost every part of your body, now molecules can find one base pair out of six billion and change it. He says, we need observational tools that can deal with that high level of resolution and comprehensiveness. And we're going to talk about one such tool, fluorescent in situ sequencing, F-I-S-S-E-Q, or physique. Working copies of active genes called messenger RNAs, or mRNAs, are strategically positioned throughout living tissues, and their location often helps regulate how cells and tissues grow and develop. Until recently, to analyze many mRNAs simultaneously, scientists had to grind cells to a pulp, which left them unable to pinpoint where those mRNAs actually sat within the cell. Well, now a team at the Wyss Institute and Harvard Medical School has developed a new method that allows scientists to pinpoint thousands of mRNAs and other types of RNAs at once in intact cells. Physique could lead to earlier cancer diagnosis, help biologists better understand embryonic development, and even help map the neurons of the brain. I'm going to talk with George Church, Wyss Core faculty member and co-founder of ReadCore, the startup that will bring Physique to market. Vice lead senior scientist Rich Terry, president, co-founder, and CTO of ReadCore, and Sean Marcel, Vice entrepreneur in residence and founding chairman CEO of ReadCore. The mission of the Vice Institute is to transform healthcare industry and the environment by emulating the way nature builds. Our bodies and all living systems accomplish tasks far more sophisticated and dynamic than any entity yet designed by humans. And by emulating nature's principles for self-organizing and self-regulating, Wyss researchers develop innovative engineering solutions for healthcare, energy, architecture, robotics, and manufacturing. George Church is professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School and professor of health sciences and technology at Harvard and MIT. He's director of the U.S. Department of Energy Center on Bioenergy at Harvard and MIT and director of the NIH Center for Excellence in Genomic Science at Harvard. He has co-founded a number of companies, including ReadCore. Church earned a bachelor's degree from Duke University in two years and a Ph.D. from Harvard. Honors include election to the National Academy of Sciences and the National Academy of Engineering. He's co-authored hundreds of scientific papers, more than 60 patents, and the book Regenesis, How Synthetic Biology Will Reinvent Nature and Ourselves. And now to set the context for this episode, George Church offers an overview of the evolution of sequencing technology. Dates back at least to the 60s when RNA sequencing was, and protein sequencing were the main ways of uh, getting insight. In the mid-70s, ways to do DNA sequencing based on electrophoresis came into play. Those were automated and made less radioactive, more fluorescent. In the 80s and 90s, switched from slab electrophoresis, capillary electrophoresis. None of these scaled particularly well. Then the breakthrough came around in the 90s, uh, recognizing that you could reprobe flat surfaces to get hybridization and other information uh, led way to what's now called next generation fluorescent sequencing, which was originally in our group was back in 1999, was called fluorescent in situ sequencing. There in situ just referred to the, you know, a flat surface in situ today means literally in complex tissues with multiple cells in very high resolution. Where does he see sequencing moving forward? Sequencing technology in the future will, I think, take two major routes, which are largely new. 
the obvious one is that the cost will decrease and accessibility will increase. Part of that, I think, will happen along with a new portability. That is to say, we might be able to carry around real-time sequencing devices. My candidate with that would probably be nanopore sequencing. But another major new avenue is this uh, in situ methods where most of the information we want when we do microscopy or, for that matter, visualization of imaging in general, is we'd like to know what all those little gray blips are uh, that we see. We'd like to have the name of each of them, and that's what in situ sequencing is all about. What is the importance of sequencing? What does it give us, and how important is this whole arena? Sequencing, or being able to read uh, DNA, has uh, so many applications today that it's hard to even begin. But uh, it ranges from forensics, where you can identify individuals involved in crimes or identify individuals that have been lost or lost track of. You can find uh, trace um, amounts of environmental samples. You can determine whether a particular fish is what it, you know, what the chef is saying it is. <laughs> famous cases, famous cases of that. You can use DNA sequencing for medical research, for medical diagnostics. You can use it for agricultural research and veterinary diagnostics. You can use it for literally reading and writing information that has nothing to do with biology. And the list goes on and on of what you can do with the ability to read DNA. And our ability to write DNA is very intimately dependent upon our ability to read it as well. Now there you were referring to DNA. What is the distinction between RNA and DNA? And what's the similarity? What's the distinction? Yeah, uh, myself and others will often use DNA and RNA somewhat interchangeably. You can turn RNA into DNA and, and vice versa with simple enzymes, and, they, and that occurs in nature. But RNA is normally the conduit between DNA, which is the storehouse of information in cells and viruses, to actual functionality, either directly where the RNAs have functions, physiological roles, catalytic, or structural, or RNA is, in the form of messenger RNA, is a way station on the way to proteins which have the functionality of structure, catalysis, and regulation. One way that I've thought of it is that DNA is the blueprint and RNA is the more dynamic moment-to-moment -moment interaction with the environment. That's right. It's a good way of thinking about it. The RNA is more dynamic. It has many different roles in the cell. Some of those roles are even uh, more prominent when the RNA is translated into protein, as some of them are, and then the proteins take on those dynamic roles of interacting with the environment and producing the body of the cell or the organism. We narrow our focus to physique, fluorescent in situ sequencing, and I ask for the story. Like most science and engineering, there are uh, goals and obstacles, and in this case, you might date it back to uh, my PhD thesis, where we had the first direct DNA sequencing method uh, where we would reprobe a solid surface, in this case, nylon membranes. And each time we'd reprobe, we'd get a new set of images, and those images would be new sequence data. That was 83. Uh, that led eventually to multiplexing and barcodes, which were a key component of modern next-gen sequencing. And the idea of reprobing and re-imaging is really common to almost all of the next-gen fluorescent, high-throughput, low-cost sequencing. The first real barrier to turning those primitive 1980s genomic sequencing methods into in situ 
was um, miniaturization. So the thing that made next-gen sequencing so much more scalable and valuable than all the years of billions of dollars invested in the genome project, the thing that made next-gen so much more valuable was this miniaturization where we could go from sort of the millimeter scale of conventional sequencing and even the genomic and multiplex sequencing of the 80s down from millimeters to microns and eventually uh, submicron nanometer scale. That was the first barrier and also the first gigantic opportunity. We were coasting, drafting on the successes of the microfabrication in the electronics industry. Miniaturization was the key thing behind Moore's Law for electronics. Then the next big barrier came from ways to get the enzymes to behave so that you could get a large amount of information from a pixel in an image. You might immobilize cells or nucleic acids on a conventional microscope slide, but then you'd want each pixel or voxel in three dimensions to reveal what its identity is. And that meant that the enzymes had to be compatible with the fixatives that kept everything in place and with the complicated structure of the cell. So there's a serious path of discovery of all the nuances of getting those enzymes to behave themselves. There was also, a, in between the immobilization and the next step, which was miniaturization, was also getting good fluorescence efficiency. Um, and then after the dealing with real cellular material, real tissues, and the complications they have for enzymatic systems, or even hybridization systems that don't involve enzymes, or issues having to do with computational issues, representational issues, so you actually are getting uh, all the RNAs. And most significantly, and the one that most recently we've had a breakthrough, was being able to pack enough information to a cell. So one of the advantages of conventional sequencing for RNA or DNA is that when you break open the cell and grind it to a pulp and spread it out over a slide, you now have lots of space for all of your sequence read. The thing that I said in the intro, which is that up till now, you had to grind the cell, and you just mentioned it again. Why did you have to grind it? What allowed you to overcome that? Well, there were two reasons why we ground up cells in order to analyze the DNA and RNA. Uh, one of them was a purification to get rid of the barrier where the impurities proteins and other molecules would interfere with the enzymes getting access to the DNA RNA. And the second was so that you could get that space that you need in between molecules because in the cell, the molecules are more or less on top of each other, literally touching each other. And so, you know, one you know, sub-nanometer molecule will be a sub-nanometer away from another one. And so that's, that's really quite tight from a microscopy standpoint. And third was amplification. So You'd want it to be pure, you'd, you'd like it to be isolated, and you'd like to have more than one copy of each one so that you have good signal to noise, you have a good detection confidence. Those were the three main reasons. We've solved all three of them essentially in C2 now. As I mentioned in the intro where you said our observation has to catch up with our engineering, this is going to take our ability to observe in some sense a whole level down, correct? That's right. I mean, when we want to engineer a biological system, for example, if we want to epigenetically create uh, new tissues from stem cells for testing drugs or for transplants, we'd like to know whether those new tissues 
are really reflective of the old ones or have new properties that we want. And since the old tissues, the natural tissues, are, are this compact, complex structure, we want to really know what the differences are between our synthetic structures and the natural ones. That's one example. But again and again, whenever you're uh, doing biological or biotechnological engineering, you find yourself asking, what is the cell thinking? What is the structure and function of this cell in this environment or with this genetic tweak? And this in situ sequencing is the tool that we really have needed all along. It allows you to see where the different RNAs and mRNAs are in relationship to each other and how they're interacting, who they're interacting with? Exactly. The nucleic acids of the cell are not uniformly distributed. It is not, the cell is not a sphere with a uniform distribution of molecules. I mean, it seems obvious when you state it that way. Um, <laughs> it's exquisitely important where the molecules of the cell are positioned. Where before you had to grind, what was that specific thing that your team came up with that allowed you to do it without that step? Right. You know, ironically, one of the major breakthroughs in how we are able to do it without grinding up the cell is just a, realizing it was desirable to not grind up the cell. <laughs> I love and it. And B, then just doing it. Uh, <laughs> but there were plenty of barriers once we made that leap, which had to do with making space for the reeds, uh, making sure the fluorescent intensity was high enough through various amplification methods, and making sure that the enzymes or hybridization probes had access to the sample. But the key breakthrough was, was realizing that we could miniaturize, and in doing so, we would eventually miniaturize down to the size of a cell. For another experience of the development of physique, I turned to V's lead senior scientist, Rich Terry, a member of Church's lab and president, co-founder, and CTO of ReedCore. Before coming to the V's, Terry designed, developed, and produced a cost-effective, high-throughput, open-source DNA sequencer, the pollinator. And prior to that, he was senior project manager at CERN, the Center of European Nuclear Research in Geneva. First, I ask how he sees his path to the work that he does today. I like to think of myself as a product of NASA's propaganda engine from the 70s and, and 80s. So I really fell in love with aerodynamics and aerospace as a kid and always wanted to be an aerospace engineer. I followed that path and got a master's degree in aerospace engineering from Boston University. However, upon graduating Boston University, I really fell in love with mechanisms of biology and solving problems in, in biology, and initially through device development, then into implantable devices and neurology at which point I became more interested in, in really what's going on at the molecular level and had the good fortune to, to link up with George Church and, and really develop a lot of new and exciting tools across synthetic biology. Interesting, from outer space to inner space. Yes, yes. <laughs> like Church, Rich Terry makes clear that their innovations are built on the work of many others. One of the largest challenges that we really faced was we were trying to develop a lot of these techniques prior to current next-gen sequencing being a real robust tool that you could use. And if you think of FISSEQ, it, it really leverages kind of all of the development that was done for DNA sequencing. 
and for these these high throughput DNA sequencing methods. So all of the techniques to do current DNA sequencing had to be developed in order to get to the point where you could do it then in situ. And so you had to leverage that entire field. What are the major unmet needs that physique addresses? We think one of the major unmet needs that physique addresses is in the the drug discovery pipeline. And so the tools we have and the, the tools pharmaceutical groups have to come up with new drugs and to test these new drugs is tremendous. So they have really rich, detailed animal models. They have newer techniques that have come online like organs on chip, and they're able to do develop new compounds to test against these animal models or these new organ-on-chip-based platforms. However, there's no good readout at the you know, spatial molecular level to, to really tell how those drugs are, are affecting the cells in the organ platforms or the animal models that they have. This is a, a huge role that, that FISI can play. And if you just look at you know, an organ-on-chip model, we have lots of different cell types that you could deliver a drug to and, and look at the response, you don't have a great way of reading it out. But with FISSEQ, you could potentially read out all of those molecules as they sit in that organ-based chip platform. How would you describe where it is you stand now in terms of where you want to go? So from a technology standpoint, I think we're at an extremely exciting juncture where you know, not only can we do this for one particular cell type um, in a very limited way, now we can do this across various tissues or organisms, organ cells, and be able to start now really trying to answer exciting uh, scientific questions related to um, disease or um, the connections within a brain. Can you tell us uh, the story so far of the translation process? Yes. So the translation process starts in the lab with particular individuals really trying to answer, you know, a a very specific question or trying to come up with a a new tool to meet a huge unmet need in the field. And this is kind of how FISSEQ started. As FISSEQ kind of grew and as these other tools grew, they really incorporated and, and leveraged each other. So some of the new sequencing tools that came out were leveraged by FISSEQ and, and pulled in. And as excitement kind of grew internally within the lab for this technique, more and more people were attracted to the project. As that happens, we really take a hard look at what stage is it mature enough for a spin-out or, or for a licensing agreement. What was the point, if you will, that you reached that you said, okay, now's the time? So I would say, you know, after we released our science paper, we got enough interest, both internally and externally, that a switch really went off saying, you know, we have something here. There is a huge unmet need. You know, what does the the commercial avenue kind of look like? And what happens at that moment? At that moment, I mean, it really takes a, a team of individuals to both further the technology as well as further flush out the commercial endeavor. And it really takes a person to stand up and lead that effort. And for me, I've been working on you know next-gen sequencing technologies in general uh, for about 10 years now. And I, I saw this as, as the most exciting thing, really, to come out of the space or come out of the, the church lab on the diagnostic side in many years. So I immediately 
kind of said, you know, I'd, I'd like to take this on and, and lead this project. Doing so means he's working with Sean Marcel, founding chairman and CEO of ReedCorp. Marcel joined the Wies Institute in 2016 to work on startup opportunities in the biotech area, after previously serving as CEO of several companies, including Metamark Genetics, Sensogen, and Redpoint Bio. He was also president of the Port of Technology, the largest life sciences and technology incubator in the United States. Marcel is a current member of the Monell Center's International Advisory Board, a fellow and advisory board member of the University of Pennsylvania's Weiss Tech House, and serves on the board of Sensana. He holds a BA in economics from George Washington University and has been an adjunct faculty member at the Wharton School. Marcel admits that he majored in economics without being quite sure what he would do with that degree. Along the way, I became very interested in biological sciences and then the pharmaceutical and diagnostic industries. And so when I graduated from school, I was really inspired to get into the healthcare industry in the pharmaceutical and diagnostic sectors of the business. And so I joined a very large, uh, diversified healthcare company uh, in the diagnostics division. And that was absolutely fascinating. Learning about how testing was the front end of diagnosis and then treatment of disease and the entire care pathway uh, really, really inspired me to jump in passionately in a career in research tools and diagnostics. Why did you move from the commercial world to the Wies Institute? Well, I've always been in the commercial world, and actually the role at the Wies, uh, I consider a commercial role. So you're probably familiar with the Wies model where promising platform technologies are incubated and developed, and I, I like to say de-risked, to a point where they become mature enough to become freestanding entities or companies on their own. I'm working on the licensing, the financing of the company, uh, and then the organizational build-out of the company once it spins out. I asked Marcel to talk a bit more about the value of de-risking in the Wies model, where the aim is to turn your technologies into startups. By undertaking the technology risk and the development risk, or the majority of it, when the company becomes a freestanding entity, then those risks are not something that investors will need to fund much further. They can focus on, say, commercialization or growing the company into a, a viable enterprise. What's an example of where the Wies would de-risk beyond where a mere academic institution might? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, an academic institution, you'll have a researcher will be addressing a problem, an experimental problem, and they will perform experiments, conduct research, and then publish their results. And this is to build out, you know, the body of knowledge in a particular area and be a contributor to the body of scientific knowledge. The V's will take it to the next level. So, for example, Dr. Church conceived of FISIC, and he conducted research and demonstrated the feasibility of FISIC, and papers were published in, in science and nature. And then the Wies Institute takes it to the next level and works with individuals 
gifted scientists like uh, Rich Terry and his team to reduce it to practice. And so the VIS has essentially financed that uh, through the various you know, grant process and, and funding process internally to build actual functioning sequencers to show that FISI can work in a laboratory and then took it to another level and conducted actual experiments to show how FISIC could be used in various tissue types, in various disease states, um, and then went to the further step of bringing in an entrepreneur in residence, someone like myself, who can map out a pathway or help map out a pathway to take this technology that's now been reduced to practice, demonstrated as useful, and show how it can be then delivered to the larger scientific community market. Since Marcel is involved in bringing Physique to market, I'm interested in how he talks about the science. Physique is, I like to say, where sequencing meets pathology. And this is a once in, you know, a few decade development. Pathologists diagnose most diseases today, and often they do it by taking a specimen and looking at it under a microscope and making a determination. We also know that the genes embedded there, which the pathologist can't really see, also play a huge role. So Dr. Church and colleagues conceived of a way of merging those two. Physique is the merger of morphology and sequencing. And by combining the data and delivering a spatial image of the sequences with the sequences, we can now have unprecedented clinical insight into diseases and conditions. And by understanding the processes going on down at that cellular and subcellular level, uh, we can now really not only identify the mechanisms of disease, we can diagnose those diseases more effectively, and then we can target treatments at them more effectively. The ability to just take a specimen and throw it on a slide is now, and then sequence it in place, has previously not been possible until uh, the breakthrough with physique occurred. So you can now see things happening, if you will, sooner, faster, more specifically? All of those things. All of those things. Uh, yes, sooner. The actual disease process can be observed essentially in real time. The diagnoses can theoretically be made more quickly. There's less preparation and handling, so it can be conducted more quickly. And then the output, the information that comes out the other end, is vast and far richer than what occurs today. Today, you get a sequencing read, but it doesn't tell you anything about where the RNA came from, where it was in the patient, what it was doing. It just, it's a sequence. Here, with Physique, we can now identify the sequence, where it was in the cell, and even correlate it with cells next door, 
intracellular or with other elements within the cell, intracellular. And all of this is a rich information that allows for far more effective diagnosis, targeted treatments, um, but also allows for unprecedented you know, insight into the inner workings of cells. So understanding is also going to be richer. Yeah. Again, from his commercial perspective, I'm curious how Sean Marcel views the development process for Physique. Physique had to first deliver a, a proof of concept, and that is, can something as unconventional as in situ sequencing even be done? Conventionally, you take a sample, you pulverize, you extract, you amplify, and then sequence. Nobody ever took a intact specimen, dropped, put it on a slide, and then tried to sequence it. And that's very difficult. So that was the first big hurdle, in my opinion, was proving that sequencing could be done in situ. The second part of it was then reducing it to practice and putting it on an engineering instrumentation and a platform that could do it in a realistic way. I mean, it's fine if you're a researcher and you do it, you know, one time on one thing and it takes you, you know, weeks to do it. <laughs> right. That's not the same as I got to put, you know, 32 samples on the machine and get the results out in three days. That's right. No one's going to buy that first one. <laughs> right. <laughs> no one's going to buy the first one. So the next big hurdle was engineering. How do we take this new capability and then how do we deliver it in a way that's practical? I returned to George Church to talk about potential applications, which he believes are vast. Some of them... I think a little more obvious, which is like direct translation in the clinical settings, where you have diagnostics replacing classical pathology slide analysis, many other imaging systems, which are the cornerstones for uh, a whole variety of decision processes in modern medicine. But it's much bigger than that. We can not only visualize RNA and DNA, but also proteins. You can have antibodies that, that are labeled with nucleic acids that bind to the proteins, and then those nucleic acids can be immobilized the same way that the cells are immobilized. And then we can chew away all the proteins and then start visualizing these tags. In principle, you could also detect small molecules by their impact on proteins, and hence the tagging comes into play again by quantitating the amount of protein, the amount of molecule that binds the protein and stabilizes it and so on. Going beyond that, uh, we know that we can encode information about time-related events in nucleic acids. Our lab has published a few papers on ways that you can encode ion concentrations or various molecules that are changing with time. You can turn that time series into a, a nucleic acid molecule. Once it's a nucleic acid molecule, it again reduces down to a previously solved problem, which is for us in NC2 sequencing. Finally, we can look into developmental biology and uh, another time series, a specific time series, which is the branching that it, as each cell divides, the two daughter cells can get their own unique barcode, dynamic barcode that we can produce with new versions of uh, CRISPR. And as each cell division, you get this ramification of developmental potential, we can encode and later read with physique 
exactly which cell, all the way from the single cell zygote all the way out to the trillions of cells in a mature plant or animal. Staying with applications, Rich Terry echoes Sean Marcel's point that physique is where sequencing meets pathology, as he envisions its potential in cancer diagnosis. If you look at the cancer space and how we evaluate patients based on the type of cancer they have, a lot of these techniques are either based on morphology or they're based on molecular analysis. So if you look in breast cancer, your analysis or, or the state of your breast cancer is really driven by morphometric features like malformed nuclei or tubulin formation. And these are done via canonical staining assays that have been around for 100 years. Okay. You then have all of these newer tools that have been developed in the RNA analysis space like Oncotype DX, which you can leverage to tell you how effective a chemo treatment will be. The problem is no one's truly put the two of these you know, techniques together uh, in a parallelized, meaningful way. And we think in doing that with FISSEQ, which gives you the morphometric, and it also gives you all of the molecular information overlaid in a single sample, we can get you know, much better accuracy on delivering drugs to patients and coming up with their outcomes. George Church sees another crucial aspect of the role of physique in cancer treatment. Well, in cancer, there's been growing acknowledgement in the field and interest in cancer heterogeneity, where you'll have uh, either various different kinds of cancer at a single site or in different sites in the body uh, that either develop differently or, dur or during the metastasis process have evolved. They recruit cells from around them that are not cancerous, but become part of the cancer ecosystem. And so all this heterogeneity uh, varies from person to person, and it's not too far-fetched to say that each cancer is unique in a certain sense. Even different cancers in the same body can be uh, quite different. And so the strategy you have for therapy should be reflective of that complexity, and we need software to help us uh, deal with that level of complexity. How could physique ultimately impact the clinical care of patients? Right. So not just cancer, but almost every pathological state has some personalization. So you, you have different genetic and environmental components coming in with the patient, complicating and individualizing each, whether it's a renal failure or a liver disease that's not cancerous, and certainly, especially so for neuropsychiatric uh, disorders, degenerative diseases, including uh, cognitive decline and so forth. Each of these has a generic component, but also a very individual one. Exactly where you want to place that drug, that scalpel, that laser will depend on the details of the imaging of the sample. This is going to give us a great deal more ability to personalize, to, to individualize, both in our diagnosis and our treatment. That's right. I mean, one of the big payoffs for Precision Medicine Initiative uh, is going to be the personalization of not just cancer, but, but a whole variety of diseases. Many of these diseases have an organic and organ-based analysis that uh, would be either required or helpful and ability to know the name of every molecule or certain subsets you've chosen in advance for a particular piece of tissue uh, is a huge improvement, especially with the enormous lowering of costs that we've seen over the last few years. Rich Terry explains the role physique will play in the exploration of the brain, 
a role recognized by President Obama's brain initiative. If you look at the way you track synapses in the brain, they're very slow, high-resolution microscopy techniques. These have their own challenges. Um, one of the main ones is it makes the pieces of the brain that you scan at very high resolution difficult to really align and, and track um, neuron synapses. So one thing FISSEEK gives you is the ability to, in a very high-throughput manner, sequence large unit volumes of the brain and map those sequences back to synaptic barcodes. This really gives you kind of a new tool that's much faster that will allow you to map all of the connections within a brain. And not only does it give you the ability to kind of map those connections, but it will also give you kind of all of the rich expressional information that will go with the mapping of those synapses. Rich shares some of his hopes for the future. Looking forward in general, um, again, what I'm very excited about is developing kind of new applications for diagnostics as well as drug discovery. And so we're at the point where we can really start pushing a lot of those applications and looking at not only the kind of rich, complex interactions within, you know, some tissue types or within certain cells or co-culture of cells, but across whole organisms. And so from, even from a developmental biology standpoint, this is extremely exciting. Where would we be in the, uh, the brain space 10 years from now? The brain space, it, it would be phenomenal to be able to sequence even a, you know, a whole small animal's brain and map every connection in the brain as well as read out kind of the other richness of molecules that are present, whether they be, you know, small molecules or proteins or, or RNA or, or even DNA. I asked Sean Marcel how he's thinking about the commercial development of the various physique applications. The physique platform is so useful in such a diverse number of research contexts. And we've got, you know, a line around the block already of major research institutions with collaborators who are leaders in their fields with projects ready for us to sequence them for them and provide them data. So we're going to begin life offering sequencing services to major research institutions around the world and also offering sequencing services to pharmaceutical companies. Later, we will then supply working sequencers, working high-throughput sequencers that perform physique to leading research institutions who have uh, sequencing core facilities. What would we be talking about a year from now? Well, a year from now, we'll, we're hopefully completing the projects we already have accumulated. Thanks to Dr. Church and the FISIC team, we have papers published in Science, Nature, and, you know, Dr. Church frequently speaks. And as a result of that, um, we've just that visibility, we've had over 50 collaborators across more than 20 institutions approach us with projects. So we, we've got plenty of work to do for the next year. So I'm hoping in a year we can even finish all the projects that we have already know of. And then five years from now, what would we be talking about? Five years from now, this has all the ingredients of a major 
research tools and diagnostics company. And there's precedent for that. This is such a fundamental breakthrough in sequencing that the company in five years would be a fully integrated company providing sequencing services worldwide and providing sequencers, including benchtop versions that could be run in just about any research laboratory, and their attendant uh, reagent chemistries to go with it, uh, a whole range of software tools uh, that enable users, both open source and proprietary, and an entire range of data mining services. All that data that will be accumulating in the cloud will be mined and be a rich source of clinical and research data that will be highly useful and valuable across many sectors of healthcare. The company will be integrated along all of those lines and um, the amount of research being done in transcriptomics will accelerate, you know, concordantly. Sean, you've started several companies and what is it in particular about Physique and the VIS that made you want to jump aboard? Well, I've been in the healthcare and diagnostics industry for 30 plus years now. And along the way, yes, I have been fortunate to uh, be the founding CEO of a number of companies. And I've had some experience now to, to look back and, and see where I've been at my best and where I've been the most excited and passionate. And it typically has been an area where the technology has been very disruptive and has had wide applications and is doing something really new, innovative, and useful for society. And FISIC is such a fundamental technology and scientific platform that it's going to really change things in research, diagnostics, and ultimately healthcare arena, which will be useful and beneficial to society. Thank you very much, Sean Marcel. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Terrence. Finally, I return to George Church, and I'm curious how physique fits in with his other work. My lab does cover a number of realms of innovative applications. This includes new ways of doing transplantation, for example, humanizing pigs. Clearly, transplantation is something where the structure of the, of the cells and the development of the organs is important. I'm sure physique will play a role there. Resistance to environmental uh, factors, you know, including ways of uh, eliminating malaria, Lyme disease, and so forth. There may be a role for it there to understand ecological and organismal subtleties and interactions. Uh, we have a big commitment to the BRAIN initiative. That is probably the most impactful future that we see for physique, I mean, among many of the others, where some cells can be approximated by a sphere. For example, a lymphocyte may be floating around in the blood. But uh, neurons very far away from that, and the nervous system is probably the most complicated and impactful kilogram of material in the universe, at least our universe. <laughs> you know, one thing I hear is that because this is a tool, in some sense, as we move forward 5, 10, whatever, we won't see it anymore. We'll just see the new things that have come from using it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a, the greatest measure of success is that 
is the thing that you invented disappears into ubiquitous use. Uh huh. I certainly hope that is true for this one. <laughs> Credit is greatly overrated. Uh, I mean, what you want to see is impact. Uh, you want to you want to go to the grocery store and the drugstore and the playground and see it. That's the reward. How has working within the VIS structure, the VIS culture, contributed to the development of physique? The VIS culture is amazing. I mean, it's, it's just hard to describe it. I've been involved in a number of different institutes and institutions all over the world. The VIS has a sense of not just collaboration, but playfulness, disruptive, transformative, can-do attitude that has generated entrepreneurial opportunities, translational opportunities, but really the, the key thing is the out-of-the-box, interdisciplinary teamwork that is rarely seen. Commercial and even many academic institutions that are at scale and focus on productivity, they're so focused on productivity that they're essentially turning cranks and they're spending a lot of money and producing something that was remarkable by current standards but almost immediately outdated by new technology. And I think Beast, on the other hand, is the, the engine that produces those new technologies and brings fantasy into reality in remarkably short periods of time. What difference does that make to you as a scientist, the difference between a discovery being a discovery and a discovery being translated into applications and products and so on? What difference does that make to you? Well, I mean, first of all, I'd characterize myself as a scientist engineer. I may have started a little more on the science side, but I think making inventions and even discoveries seems at this point to be kind of a pyrrhic victory without translation. It seems like uh, it's ephemeral. You publish a paper, maybe a few people cite it. It's not nearly the same thing as getting the feedback from market forces and the feedback on uh, impact that says, oh, if you just do a little bit more, you're going to have a, a you know, much more positive uh, impact. And the feedback on safety and security, all those sorts of things, which sometimes can provoke really very profound new basic science, which when it's all entangled with the engineering in my lab, uh, it, it just makes it much more intellectually and socially uh, gratifying. Very good. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much, George Church. Thank you. You've been listening to Disruptive Physique, fluorescent in situ RNA sequencing. I'm Terrence McNally. My guests have been George Church, Rich Terry, and Sean Marcel. You can learn more about their work with Physique, as well as an exciting range of other projects, at the VIS website, vis.harvard.edu. That's wyss.harvard.edu where you'll find articles, videos, animations, and additional podcasts. To have podcasts delivered to you, you can sign up at the VIS site or on iTunes or SoundCloud.com. My thanks to Seth Kroll and Mary Talikas of the VIS Institute and to J.C. Swadek in production and to you, our listeners. I look forward to being with you again soon. <laughs>